It's good to see you. If you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13 is our text. We are continuing uh, in our illusion series, looking at another uh, parable. Uh, in fact, this morning we're going to look at two parables. It's okay. They're very short, uh, which does not mean the sermon's going to be short. Okay, don't start thinking that. But we're going to look at two parables that actually go together as a unit. They're found in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, uh, look here at Matthew 13, beginning at verse 44 down through 46. And if you're able to stand, I'll ask you to do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went, sold all that he had, and bought it. This is God's Word. Pray with me. God, I ask that you would do the work that only you can do this morning, that your spirit would come and open our eyes to see in our heart correctly what we truly value, who we truly love. Do that work in us, we pray, for Christ's glory and in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It was just another walk in the park for nine-year-old Matthew Smith. He was on his way home from summer camp when his family decided to stop in Arkansas at Crater of Diamonds State Park. Now, his family was just walking through the park, seeing different sights and things when something caught Matthew's attention. It was this small little brown-looking stone. It was about the size of an M&M, and he picked it up. He thought it looked kind of cool. He showed it to his mom, and she looked at it and checked it out, said, this is nothing important at all. You might as well just throw it back. But he liked the way it looked, so he threw it in his bucket, and they kept on walking. They saw the rest of the things they needed to see in the park. And when they got finished, Matthew had that little brown stone examined. Turned out not to be a meaningless rock, but a two and three-quarter carat diamond worth $3,000. You have somebody who's just walking around and out of the blue finds something of great value. It was just another day at the sea for 63-year-old Mel Fisher. Mel was a a California chicken farmer, and he decided to take up a new hobby, the hobby of scuba diving. Little did he know he loved scuba diving, and so he decided to sell his chicken farm and move from California to the Florida Keys to spend the rest of his life looking for sunken ships. And day after day after day, he'd go out and he'd come up empty. But his motto, his slogan, if you will, was, today is my day, today is my day, today is my day. And he'd tell himself that every morning when he woke up. Finally, after 16 years 
of searching, Mel Fisher found an old Spanish ship from 1622, and on that ship was gold estimated at $450 million. You have a guy that is seeking after something, but he finds more than he ever imagined he'd ever find. Now, when you hear stories like that, if you're like me, you think, why does that never happen to me? Because there's something in every one of us at some point in our life that dreams about the idea of finding treasure. I mean, it's like my son, I was this way when I was a kid, likes to dress up like a pirate and just go around trying to find treasure. If he's doing that at 35, I'll call a counselor. But he loves to find treasure. And people are the same way, aren't they? It's why people play the lottery. It's why people collect stamps and coins. It's why people go on game shows. It's why people are drawn to TV shows like American Pickers. You ever seen that show? Where they hunt through like all these barns and garage trying to find these antiques. And they like find this old clock that turns out to be like George Washington's alarm clock or something crazy, you know, and then we're all running to the local garage sale trying to find that rare antique. I bet you that every one of you has something in your house or your office that is valuable to you that you like to show to other people. In our home, it's uh, our NASCAR commemorative plates. Um, I'm just kidding. That is not true. (laughs) Oh, how I wish it were true. But my wife won't let me. So, but we all have that that something on the shelf or on the wall or or something hidden in our home that, that is valuable to us. Why? Because at the core of every single one of us, we are treasure seekers. We're searching after something that is valuable. But what if I were to tell you this morning that there is a treasure that makes every other treasure in this life go down in value? Or to ask it a different way, what if I were to tell you that there is a treasure that exposes the illusion of value in all the treasures of the world? Well, there is such a treasure, and that's what Jesus teaches us about in these two parables. Notice the first one in verse 44. It's known as the parable of the hidden treasure. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. So, now we don't know what this guy's doing. If he's just walking through the field, or, or, or it's very possible that he's a hired hand, and he's working the field, and as he's working the field, all of a sudden, clunk, he just hit something. And so he digs it up, and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, this amazing, valuable treasure that he has found. Now, this raises two questions. Number one, why are you burying something so valuable? What is this? Ancient Near Eastern Palestine? Well, actually, yeah, it is. They didn't have bank accounts. They didn't have safety deposit box. The bank was literally the side of the hill. 
It was a common practice because of the threat of theft and war to take that which was valuable to you and to bury it in the ground. How many of you remember in Matthew 25, another parable known as the parable of the talents? What does one of the three men do? He takes the talent and he buries it in the ground. It's odd to us, not odd to them. Second question, why doesn't he tell the landowner that he found the treasure? Well, uh, first of all, the landowner may not even know. Who knows how long it's been there? After all, why would you sell the field if you knew the treasure was in it? But that doesn't really even matter because according to rabbinic law, you're going to like this, rabbinic law stated this, quote, if a man finds scattered fruit or money, it belongs to the finder. Be honest. How many of you have ever said finders keepers? You didn't know you were quoting rabbinic law when you said that. You can use that later, right? So this guy didn't even have to say anything. What he does is he's ethical. He puts it back in the ground. He sells everything, and he legally buys the whole field, okay? So here's the story. A man discovers a treasure that is so valuable. He sells everything he has legally purchases the field because he has to have the treasure. Got to have it. That's story number one. Here's the second one, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this one's a little different. It's similar But what's different is this guy, unlike the guy in the field, is actually seeking after pearls. Now, you need to understand that pearls were the greatest gem in the ancient Near East. It would be the equivalent today of diamonds. How many of you ladies, be honest, like diamonds? One, two, three. Literally, like five of you like diamonds? All right, note to self, men of Berean. Women at Berean don't like diamonds. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Love it. That's the best amen I'll get all day. But no, we say if you got a lot of diamonds, you've got a lot of value. That's, That's a very valuable gem in our culture. Well, in the ancient Near East, it was pearls. Um. How many of you remember the Apostle John when he gets the vision of heaven? The best way he can describe part of heaven was the pearly gates. Whether or not they're literally made of pearl doesn't matter. The point is, the best, most valuable way he could describe heaven included pearls because that was the most valued thing in their day. So this guy, follow me, has devoted his life to seeking after the greatest jewel, the greatest gem, until he finds one that's so amazing, so valuable, that he sells everything, he gives up his occupation, he trades in his tools, he gives up his equipment for that one thing. Now, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. What does that mean? What does it mean that the kingdom of heaven is like these two stories? Three things I want to tell you this morning. The first is this. 
people come to the kingdom, they come into a relationship with Jesus, they come under the reign of God, they come into the family of God in different ways. I did not say that there are multiple ways to God. Hear me clearly. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Jesus is the way to the Father, but people come to Jesus in a variety of different ways. Your testimony is different than yours, is different than yours, is different than yours, right? I mean, for some of you, you're like Matthew Smith in that park. You weren't really looking for anything, but you found something awesome. You're like the man in the field. You're just walking around, and all of a sudden, bam, you experience something amazing. You're not looking for Jesus. You're not looking for the kingdom of heaven, but all of a sudden, God graciously interrupted your life. You're like the Gentiles who weren't seeking after a Messiah. You're like the Apostle Paul that was just on his way to kill more Christians. You're like the woman at the well that was just on her way to get water. You're the guy who was coming to church just because you wanted to impress the girl. You were sitting at home all by yourself. Well, you weren't even thinking about Jesus till all of a sudden somebody knocked on your door, asked for a few minutes of your time, and told you about Jesus Christ. You're like Charles Spurgeon, who at age of 15 wanted nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever. But on a, new, on a New Year's Day that happened to be a Sunday, he's walking through a snowstorm, must have lived in Minnesota. The only place that he could find refuge was an old Methodist church. On that particular Sunday, the pastor didn't show because the snowstorm was so bad, so they had another church official fill in. He wasn't prepared, so Spurgeon said he just repeated the same thing over and over and over again. Don't you say that about me. <laughs> His text was, look unto him and be saved. And Spurgeon just said he said it over and over and over again until he caught my eye. He was looking out through the congregation and he saw Spurgeon and he just stared at him. And he said something that I don't really advise to do in a sermon. He said, son, you look miserable. I mean, imagine I'm just preaching along and said, hey, lady, you look terrible. You know, I mean, that would be, that would, I'd get your attention. But he looked at Spurgeon and he said, you look miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death, you will be. If you don't look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look, 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 look. Spurgeon said, I looked. And the clouds were rolled away, and the darkness was gone, and I saw the sun. He wasn't looking for Jesus, but he found him. And for some of you, that's your story. You were living life fine and dandy on your own until cancer. Until the funeral. Until the light bulb went off in your life and you've never been the same. Others of you, though, you're like the merchant. You're like Mel Fisher. You, you were seeking after something, you were longing for something, but when you ended up getting it, it was more than you could have ever imagined. 
You're, you're like the Jews seeking a Messiah. Uh, you're like the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts that's asking questions about the Bible. Uh, you're like the, the person, and I love hearing these testimonies, that grew up in church and you had religion, but you were unsettled until finally one day you got Jesus. Or the atheist, the testimony of they went out just asking questions and searching for God only to find him by faith. And you got a whole lot more than you ever, ever, ever dreamed of. Do you see? Jesus is saying people come into the kingdom through Jesus in different ways. Some are looking, others the grace of God just interrupts their life. But listen, 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 listen. Though your journey to Jesus may be different, the response when we find Him is the same. Notice, into verse 44. Then in joy, He goes and sells all that He has and buys the field. In verse 46. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. In other words, you may get there through different journeys, but when you get there, the response is, oh my goodness. This is so valuable. This is so incredible. I am so overjoyed that your life can never be the same. Amen? The response of both of these men is overwhelming joy to the point that they go against all modern investment strategy. You know what modern investment strategy is? Diversification. They will tell you, don't put all your money in one stock, because if that stock goes under, you go under. And that might be good financial advice. It's not good spiritual advice. Because what these men do when they find the pearl, when they find the treasure, is they put all their eggs in that one basket. They can't imagine anything else. They are so overwhelmed with joy and the value of what they found, it is all they want. Now listen, that raises the question, what makes the kingdom of heaven so valuable? And how you answer that question may determine whether or not you're a Christian. Here's what I mean. Is what gets you excited about Christianity the fact that you get your sins forgiven? Which is an awesome thing. Is what gets you excited about being a Christian that you get to get your best life or that you get peace of mind in the midst of difficulty or that you get the promise of heaven and you'll get to see Aunt Flossie again? What gets you excited about being a Christian? Here's how in the book, God is the Gospel, John Piper asked the question, if you could have heaven with no sickness, so there's no cancer, there's no diabetes, there's no heart disease, and all, you, all the friends you've ever had on earth, so everybody you like is there and everybody you don't like is not, 
How awesome would that be? <laughs> all leisure activities that you've ever enjoyed. So if you like to fish, fish all you want. You like to go shopping, shop all you want. I can't imagine that as a leisure activity, but to each his own. Anything, you, anything you've ever enjoyed in this life, you could do it all you want. All the food you've ever liked, steak and chocolate cake or whatever it is that's your thing. All natural beauties that you've ever seen. So like waterfalls and mountains and rainbows and beautiful sunsets, like that's all you look at is beauty. And there's no human conflict, so everybody gets along. And there's no natural disasters, so no hurricanes, no earthquakes, no Minnesota blizzards, none of it. Could you be satisfied with heaven? And the answer most people would give was, I thought that was heaven. I mean, what if that description doesn't sound heaven? But the question is this, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ we're not there. If you could have all of that, except one minor detail, Jesus isn't there, would that be heaven to you? And then he says this, and this is Matthew 13. People who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. Because the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven, it's a way to get people to God. If we do not want God above all things, we haven't been converted by the gospel. Brian, what is obvious in this text is when that man finds the treasure and when that man finds the pearl, they don't want anything else. All they want, all they can think about, all their heart desires is the treasure, the pearl of great value. We join the psalmist in Psalm 42 as a deer pants for water. And I've told you before, don't think fat deer beside a pretty brook and this beautiful scenery on a Christian coffee mug. Think Dying deer, count the ribs, gasping, panting, dying if they don't get water. And the psalmist says, so is my soul and how it longs for you. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? I love that. Why? Because who cares about a place? Who cares about what you're going to possess? Heaven is about the all-surpassing value of a person we get to spend eternity with. And if that doesn't excite you, you're not a Christian. That's a big statement. Why? Because a Christian, by the very name, loves Christ. 
Who, am, who have I in heaven but you? I mean, I'm glad Aunt Flossie's there, but my first thought is not to reune with her. It's to see the one I value more than anything else in life, Jesus. Do you long for Christ like this? Or, if you don't, do you want to? And if so, I just say, praise God. Or maybe you would even say, I don't want to, and I hate that about me. I want to want to. Praise God for that. May He come to you right now and stir your affections for Him. So what's Jesus teaching? How you get to Jesus is different, but once you get to Jesus, it's the same. Oh my goodness. There's nothing of greater value than Him. And then here's the question, how do you know? How do you know that He's the greatest value in your life? Look back at the text, the last part of 44. And then in His joy, He goes and sells all that He has and He buys the field. Look at verse 46. He went and sold all that He had and bought it. In other words, how do you know, how do you know, how do you know that Jesus is the greatest value in your life? Are you listening? The value of everything else in your life goes down. Imagine the guy in the field. Man, I got time. I got money. I got a reputation. I've got friendships. I've got relationships. I've got Jesus, Jesus, and the value of Jesus becomes so great that the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. The value of Jesus exposes the illusion of the value of everything else. You see? So that thing that you really valued more than anything, it was ultimate in your life, call it your career, call it your relationships, call it your money. Now all of a sudden it's like, that's not a sacrifice to be willing to give up those things in order to know Jesus more. Are you kidding me? The value of Jesus is so much, it's not even a sacrifice. You see... I don't think these, tell me if I'm wrong, tell me if you see it in the text, I don't see these guys grumpy about it. Now, we don't have any here at Berean, but at some churches we have grumpy Christians. <laughs> Praise God we don't have any here at Berean, but there are some people that I like walking to church, and it's just like, don't tell me to serve, and don't ever mention money in a, oh, he just mentioned money in a sermon, or, or it's just like, what did you like eat? lemons or sour grapes before you came to church? It's like, what's going on with those people? Big smile and sad eyes and nobody wants what they have. They either never have or it's been a long time since they've tasted the joy of Jesus. These men aren't griping about what they may have to give up because look at what they have. They have the 
the treasure. They have what they've been searching for. My wife will laugh at this. When we were dating, uh, we dated long distance for uh, several months. And um, it was about three hours away. I would drive my old 86 blue GMC pickup truck. Got about 2.3 miles per gallon. (laughs) In fact, you fill it up with gas, you double its retail value. (laughs) I I still have it, too. I drive that thing about three hours, listening to my Craig radio. If you know what a Craig radio is, don't admit that in public. And I drive three hours, and we do some fine dining, like Wendy's dollar menu. Hey, nothing but the best, right? And then I'd have to, I was a youth pastor at the time, and I'd have to drive back home and be there for Sunday and and so I'd drive back, and we'd talk long distance on the phone. Uh, we didn't have cell phone plans like we do today, and so I'm literally still paying off those bills. <laughs> but you know, I look back at those times and think of all that driving and all the, the phone bills and all that on a college student, part-time youth pastor's salary. But I never asked, was it worth it? I never asked, was it worth it? Because my heart was there. It's not a sacrifice when your heart has been captured. When Jesus is the lover of your soul, when Jesus is the passion of your life, the response of whatever you might lose in order to know Him more is... What sacrifice? We can join with the prophet Habakkuk when he says, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines and the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food and the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stall, yet I rejoice in the Lord. Why? I've got the treasure. Or we can join with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, whatever I gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Why? I've got the treasure. We can say with Augustine, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are my true sovereign joy, you drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. We know Jesus when and only when He's the one thing we want more than anything. And we are willing to lose anything and even sell everything if it means more of Him. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like that. Do we need to take a deep breath?
I feel the weight in the room. How you get to Jesus is different, but when you get to Him, joy. If you really know Him. And the way you know that's true is because every other value in life gets put on clearance. Because of the surpassing value of Jesus. So, I'll close with just a couple of They're not random thoughts. The Lord gave them to me as I was preparing this text, but just some applications, some questions, things to think about as as you leave. So so hang with me. This is hard for me. Because when I preach text like this, I fear like overwhelming you and me. Meaning like I'm not connected to where you are spiritually. Because I think oftentimes what we're tempted to say with passages like this is, but that's for the super Christian. That's for people like Paul or pastors or church leaders. And the reason why I'm tempted to do that to you is because I'm a sinner. And I care often about the crowd when Jesus is about disciples. So I'm just going to tell you point blank. As I have studied the Scriptures and read the Gospels and the book of Acts, I'm convinced that the sold-out life is the Christian life. What we call radical is what Jesus calls normal. And again, I know, I'm, I feel it right here. I feel it like we're just saying, I'm not there. And maybe we're not. That's why we need one another to stir one another up towards that. The sold out life is the normal Christian life. Here's the second thing I thought about. You with me? Brian, you tracking with me? What would the sold out life look like in our church life? That'll keep you up at night. Keeps me up at night. What if Sunday morning or Saturday night was a gathering of deer panting for water, merchants who had found the pearl, and the man who'd found the ultimate treasure? How would this place look different? Would we sing differently? Would we give differently? Would we serve differently? What would it look like if the sold-out life defined our church life? I don't know. I'd sure love to see it. I just, I just can't even imagine what, what would happen in the South Metro and around the world if the people who showed up every week were the men in this text. Pray with me about that, would you? For me and for you, that Jesus because he's so valuable, would radically turn this place upside down. And he is, in a lot of ways. Just pray with me, Jesus, bring it on. Here's the last one. Imagine the alternative response. So let me, let me kind of illustrate it this way. Imagine these two men, later in life, they're a, they're a grandfather, and they, they have a, a grandchild on their knee. 
Honey, let me tell you this awesome story that happened to your grandfather one time. There was one day I was walking through a field and I found the most amazing treasure, the most valuable thing that you could ever find in life. You know how I used to search for pearls? Let me just tell you a story. There was one day when I found a pearl that was the greatest pearl ever, ever that you could ever find. Really, granddad? Really? That's awesome. That's such a great story. What did you do with it? I put it back. I walked away. Granddad, you did what? You had the opportunity to have the greatest treasure in all of life and you walked away? Unbeliever, see the insanity of your unbelief. You have been presented today with the greatest treasure in all the world. His name is Jesus. Repent, believe, run to Him because the sold out life is the satisfied life. So maybe you're here and you're like Matthew Smith. Um, You're just walking around through life and you have no idea what you're even doing. But this morning, you find something, or should I say someone, of greatest value. Or maybe you're like Mel Fisher and you've been searching for something. You've had a lot of questions, but you don't know what. And this morning, you find more than you could have ever imagined in Jesus. Every one of us hear the voice of a treasure who was buried in the ground for three days and walked out. Say, come follow me. Today is your day. Let's pray. Father, what we need this morning is um, all competing joys all competing pleasures, all treasures of this life from this world stripped away. And that's painful. Um, There are some in this room that passion for Jesus has been distant or gone for a long time. And they need renewed by your Spirit this morning. Would you come and do that? There are others in this place, they don't even know why they're here. They just showed up. Open their eyes to receive the greatest treasure in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Spirit, come. Don't let us leave till our hearts find joy in Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.